What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wadham. In today's world, we are called upon each day to engage with a wide range of digital literacies, which allow us to interact with the technology that surrounds us to find information, connect with people, and solve problems. In this environment, there are lots of key literacy skills that both children and adults must master in order to be digitally literate. One of those important skill sets is the ability to act safely and respectfully online. No matter what community we belong to, there are socially and legally appropriate ways to act as part of that community. This fact is true for digital communities as well. However, sometimes the boundaries between what is right and wrong in an online environment can be hard to navigate, especially for children and teens. At a very basic level, the first thing kids need to understand about online safety is about what kinds of information is okay to share online. It needs to be clear that things like preferences, such as our favorite color, and even our first names are okay to share, but things like your phone number or birth date are not. The next step is for children to learn to be aware, especially of people who may be trying to get that private information. Along with these safety skills, another thing children must learn is how to be respectful online. These kinds of skills are essential as we work to combat issues like cyberbullying and other online abuse. While one of the first ways to combat these abuses is for parents to monitor devices and use parental controls, it is also important for children to understand what cyberbullying is so they can recognize it and report it to concerned adults when they see it. Children also need to be sensitized to respectful interactions so they can understand what might hurt or embarrass someone if it is posted online. For more resources, check out the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services website, StopBullying.org, because we know here at Rachel's World just how important it is for children to develop digital literacies so they can be safe and respectful online. What's summer for anyway? Swimming, baseball, movies, art projects. What about reading? Research says that when kids leave the classroom over the summer, they can lose one to three months of learning. Mary Bigler wants adults to keep kids reading during the summer months to avoid losing all that ground. Bigler promotes what she considers to be the ABCs of summer reading. She'll tell us what those are on today's show. Once a preschool teacher and now a professor... Bigler has spent her life promoting literacy and celebrating the joys of teaching. She's an award-winning professor in the Department of Teacher Education at Eastern Michigan University and author of Lessons Learned. Here's Rachel welcoming Mary Bigler on Worlds Awaiting. We're talking with Mary today. Welcome to the show, Mary. Hello, Rachel. I'm delighted to have an opportunity to visit with you. Oh, it is always a joy to visit with you because I think we are both passionate about so many things. We share our passions of learning and literacy and reading. But one of the things that we are really advocates for, and you in particular are a great advocate for, is summer reading. So tell us, why do you think summer reading is so important? 
Well, you know, it's absolutely critical that we keep children reading during the summer, Rachel. I say just because the school doors are closed doesn't mean reading and learning should stop. We've known for a long time as educators that in the summer, children experience what we call the summer slide, or in other words, they regress in their reading. When we test children in June and then retest the same children in September, they've lost ground. They've gone backwards. The average student loses about one month of instruction during the summer, and some students, unfortunately, can lose up to about three months of reading achievement over the summer if they don't read. But the good news is that if children keep reading, they can maintain their level that they achieved in the preceding school year. And all they have to do to do that, according to the research, is read about six books over the summer break. So I, of course, like to say, well, if we can read six books and maintain what we had, why don't we read 12 books or 15 books and gain some ground and become better readers over this summer? So that's why I think it's so important for all of us to encourage children to read over the summer. Mary, I couldn't agree with you more. I think that summer slide is really something that is significant. And I don't think a lot of parents or adults or maybe even teachers or librarians to that extent really understand how significant this regression is and then how hard it is for them to get back when they go back into school. So very simple things we can do as parents to help students read over the summer. So what are some of your suggestions that we can do to help them help them engage in reading? Okay, I like to start with what I call ABC, because that's a very simple thing for parents and teachers and interested adults to remember. A, children need access to reading materials. We know that you don't learn to swim if you don't have a lake or a a, a swimming pool or a creek near your house. Well, you don't learn to read and become a good reader if you don't have access to reading materials. So first of all, we need to make sure that we have reading material available for our children. That's the A, access. B are books, books that match children's interests and their reading levels. We know that if children are involved in something that they care about and enjoy reading, it's a lot easier to get them to read than if we're forcing them to read something that they don't care about. And that's true with adults also. So we want to make sure that we have materials available that match their interests, and also their reading levels. So if a child is reading approximately at a third grade level, we can't expect them to be reading books that are written up very much above that. Otherwise, it'll be frustrating for them. So the B stands for books that match their interest and reading levels. And then C is to make sure that the children are comprehending. And we sometimes, as the adult, have to help them check their comprehension to make sure that they're understanding what they read. So if we follow that, A, B, C, that we have access to books and reading materials, that we have material that matches their interests and reading levels, and we make sure that they're understanding it, I think that's our best chance to keep them reading and actively engaged with reading all summer, as well as through the rest of the school year. 
That is a wonderful way to look at it, Mary. I really appreciate you breaking it down that way. But let's let's break it down a little bit more. Let's start with the A. When we talk about access, what ways can we help our children get access to books, especially Uh, during the summer? Yes, uh, a lot of thoughts about that. Uh, First of all, let's remember our public libraries. We are so blessed to live in a country where we have uh, libraries available to us. And libraries give us access to books and magazines, CDs, audiobooks, ebooks, and they also offer additional opportunities for children to be engaged with literary activities. They offer story hours, and they have reading incentive programs where children might uh, read a certain number of books and then have a reward of some kind. They feature displays of new books that are popular with children. They have author visits where you can go and listen to an author talk about writing, and that sometimes gets kids interested in reading that author's works. And they have book clubs. And librarians are wonderful resources for parents and children to consult because they know children and they know books, they know what's popular, and they can introduce the kids uh, to books that they may not find on their own. And incidentally, if I could make a plea to any school administrator or teacher or any interested citizen out there in our listening audience, I would really like to think that if we're the richest country in the world, can't we have our school library open at least one half day a week during the summer? Here, here. Yeah, I know it would cost some money, but I'm confident there'd be many teachers and parents who would volunteer to staff it. And really, the, the school library is too valuable a resource to be sitting idle for three months. And some children don't have um, access to a public library. They may not have the transportation or, or the way to get there, but they might be able to get to their school library. So I'd really like, to, as citizens, to say, you know, we need to, to utilize this wonderful resource and make it more available to children in the summertime. Uh, I have a quote, uh, Leslie Conger made a great statement. She said, the best of my education has come from reading. You don't need to know very much to start with if you know your way to the library. Yay, I love that quote. (laughs) I love that quote. And today, you know, of course, with the technology, we almost have the library at our fingertips. And it is possible to know more about any given topic than we've ever known before. So in terms of access, we we have the technology and we have these uh, wonderful public libraries that we certainly can connect with children to, to encourage them to read. Yeah, I love that sense. And as as you well know, I'm a big advocate for libraries and agree, you know, if we extend the school lunch program into the summer, forget kids food during the school year, why not open the library too? You know, yes. the school's already open. There's people yes. there. We might as well do that. So I am a big advocate for that. And, you know, as much as I love libraries, and I really agree with you, they're a great resource, that doesn't negate I think in my mind, though, having actual physical books in our home and having access directly in home. So could you speak to that? Maybe something about how you feel about access with books just that are ours, that are in our home, our own home libraries. Yes, and that is a very important component. In fact, one of the recommendations I often make to parents is to read a book together as a family. And if you have children of various ages, let's say you have a 3, a 6, a 9, and a 12-year-old, there are books that you, they all would enjoy. Uh, the Velveteen Rabbit or Charlotte's Web or The Boxcar Children. There are both fiction and nonfiction books that young children and older children and we adults would enjoy reading together. So in building a home library, 
I always kind of look for those classic books. And, you know, you can go to garage sales and flea market and secondhand stores, and sometimes you can pick up a book for a, a quarter or 50 cents. Sometimes libraries sell their excess books, and you, if you can go there and get treasures for a quarter that can become part of your family library and that you will read again and again with the children. So I encourage parents to read these wonderful treasures to the kids. And another important point is to let children choose what they want to read, and especially during the summer. Because, you know, during the school year, a lot of the reading that children do, they have to do. They're required to do. So in the summer, we've got more freedom for, to, for children to select the books they would like to read. So 92% of children say they're more likely to finish a book that they've picked out themselves. So when children say they want a particular book, maybe your school does the school book clubs where you can order books for a reasonable price, or maybe your child expresses an interest in a book that a teacher has read out loud, Acquire that book. Buy that book. Give books as gifts to your children. And then say to the youngsters, let's all of us read every day for 30 to 60 minutes. Because if we would read 30 to 60 minutes every single day during the summer, we could read those 12 books that we would like to read in order to improve our reading. At least read the six so we don't slide backwards. And so uh, when children express interest in a book or an author, I think parents and grandparents and interested adults and aunts, uncles, cousins, whoever is buying gifts for that child, bring those books into the home so that, again, we do build a, a home library that has reading material that children really will value. I love that. And that connects to that B. And you've already kind of covered this, but I'd really like to delve into that a little bit more because I think a lot of times, sometimes we think as adults that what interests us will interest our kids and that we try to push books on them in a way that maybe will not be as beneficial to our kids. So how can we as adults really find those kinds of of books that, that will interest our children at that level to keep them reading over the summer? You know, I think anything that kids are doing regularly that they choose to do is probably where their interests are. And so if we can tie their interests with good books and magazines, we've kind of solved the motivation problem. So, for example, if you've got children who love to play sports and they, they're on a traveling soccer team or they, they enjoy shooting hoops in, uh, in the park or in the driveway, then find books about basketball and soccer. There are many children's authors that write sports books for children. And if they have a natural interest in a sport, then tie that to a reading activity. If they love animals, and many of our children love animals, and they love going to the zoo, um, then we get a hold of books by Steve Jenkins or uh, Seymour Simon, who write these wonderful books on of animals. If they just like to go for walks um, or hikes in the mountains, we can read books like Tommy DePaolo's The Cloud Book, because after you go for a walk and you're, you're look, talking about what cloud formations you saw, then you read a book about that. Um, simple, everyday tasks like going on a bus ride, and then we would read Wheels on the Bus. If we go to a concert, uh, children enjoy music, and a lot of our youngsters take music lessons. We should be reading biographies of famous musicians like Duke Ellington, 
Many of our youngsters are so into the video and computer games. And in those games, they encounter mythology, castles, geography, maps. So use those video games as motivation to read books like Rupert Matthews' book, Knights and Castles, or David McCauley's book, Cathedral, or Philip or Neil Phillips' book, um, The Illustrated Book of Myths. Because if they encounter those things in the video game, they're curious and they want more information, and then the book will supply much more depth than the video game can supply. If your little one likes Dora the Explorer, there are a whole series of books uh, featuring Dora. If they enjoy movies, find a book that goes with a movie. Right now, Steven Spielberg's The BFG, based on Roald Dahl's book, and we all know the popularity of movies like Frozen and Star Wars have inspired children to read the books these movies are based on. In other words, children, we kind of know what children are doing and what they're enjoying, and we as the adult or parent or a, a figure in their life who care about reading will say, hey, I'm going to use that to motivate them to read. I love that sense because it's interesting to me, even though we're talking today about summer reading and we're trying to address the needs of students of reading over the summer, the reality is that all of this we're talking about is really making literacy activities and reading in particular just an integral part of our daily activities. So in some ways, what we're talking about extends beyond just the summer. This is stuff that we really should be doing on a daily basis every day. It's an integral part of who our family should be. Absolutely. The thing is that during the school year, I think families are very pressured. There's so many obligations and there's so many meetings and, and places they need to be, both the adults and the children. And sometimes they don't have time to do as much with literacy activities as they do have time during the summer. So you're right. These things are certainly things we should be doing regularly as part of our literary lives. I just think that sometimes we get so busy with so many activities during the school year that we don't do as much as we have the opportunity to do during the summer. I love that. But before we close, let's touch a little bit on our C about comprehension. What are some important things that that parents in particular can do to just quickly assess the comprehension of their children as they're reading? That is such a great question, Rachel, and that is a question I'm probably asked more frequently by parents when I go around the country doing parent programs than any other question. Uh, And there are several little quick suggestions here. One is normally your child will will evidence whether he's comprehending or not. Because if the book is too hard, generally the children will give up reading it. If it's too easy, they get bored and they probably aren't going to complete it. So generally, I just watch and see if the children seem engaged in the book. And if they are, they're probably comprehending. They're not going to usually sit there and pretend that they're involved in and understanding it when they're not. Um, Also, when they're done reading a chapter or when they've finished their half hour or hour reading or they're tired of reading, ask them about what they just read. If they can summarize and tell you what they just read, then you obviously know they're comprehending it. And engage the children in questioning like, um, well, what would you have done if you'd have been in that circumstance? Or did you like the way the story ended? Or how, uh, how else could the character have handled that? Uh, that shows that they're thinking. And uh, if they can answer those questions, then surely they're understanding it. 
But one technique that I use a lot as a teacher, and I certainly recommend to parents, is, is something developed years ago by an educator named Jeanette Veach, and it's called the five-finger technique. This is very simple, but it is so effective. When a child selects a book they think they want to buy or take from the library or uh, they're interested in reading, you open up to any page in the book, usually kind of in the middle of the book, and you tell the child to read uh, the page. Now, this is like in a chapter book where there are a lot of words. Every time they come across a word they don't know, they put up a finger. And when they come across a second word they don't know, they put up a second finger. If they get five fingers up on one page, it probably is a book they should wait and read later. In other words, that might be a little difficult for them. Because if there's approximately 100 words on a page and you don't know five of them, that's probably going to interfere with your comprehension. But if they've got one, two, or three fingers up, they should be able to read that with no problem. So that's a real easy, quick way to decide whether it's a good fit in terms of if they're going to understand the book. But I never would tell a student they couldn't read a book. Incidentally, we just had a contest in one of our local schools where the children had to write about um, the value of books. And a little six-year-old boy named Andrew won. And I want to read what he said. I think it's one of the most profound statements of all time. Little six-year-old Andrew wrote, Books let me see the whole world when my mom won't even let me cross the street. Oh, beautiful. Isn't that profound? <laughs> I thought that was Fabulous. There are so many benefits to being a good reader. We, we develop empathy and we encounter new ideas and we're exposed to beauty and humor and truth and joy and our, our tastes and interests are broadened and our imaginations are developed. So I tell the youngsters that the readers of today are going to be the leaders of tomorrow because when we read, we have access to all the accumulated wisdom from all of the great minds of the past so how blessed we are to have access to books and magazines and the technology that today will allow us to uh, to know what all the great minds of the past have have thought about uh it's a it's a fabulous thing to be a reader i think that that is the most beautiful way to sum all this up. You know, what more could you want than great travels in the summer? Summer and traveling are analogous, so let's travel and expand our horizons beyond of crossing That's the street right. when we when we start to read. It, it's such a, an amazing thing, and I appreciate your, your insight and your words, and I appreciate you letting us get to know the ABCs of summer reading. Well, I agree 100%, and I think if we give the gift of literacy, we've given them the best academic gift we could give. Without a doubt. Thank you so much, Mary. This has been delightful speaking with you. I have just enjoyed every moment of it, and I know our listeners out there have just enjoyed gaining all this wonderful new insight. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed it also. Educator and author Mary Bigler on the ABCs of how to keep kids reading during the summer months. Bigler is an award-winning professor in the Department of Teacher Education at Eastern Michigan University. We close the show with Olivia Noli, world's awaiting social media manager. I talked to her about her passion for reading, where that passion came from, and how it affects her today. 
I'd say it was definitely my mom. When I was growing up, she always said, if you want your kids to love reading as much as you do, then start reading to them the day they come home from the hospital. And she just, she always read to us, even when we were older and, you know, middle school and high school, over the summer, she'd like pick a book and we'd sit outside and she'd read it aloud to us. So one of the ones that I remember the most was the, um, the Penderwicks. That it was such a wonderful book. Someone told her about it. So one summer she just got it. I think I was in eighth grade at the time. And we just sat outside on the back porch and she read it aloud to us. So I just, I always was reading. She always had like bookshelves for us to pick books off of. And we just always had books to read when we were growing up. And so in fourth grade, I was reading National Velvet. And we were supposed to just pick a book and read it and National Velvet is wonderful but it's written in really old English and I was in fourth grade it was the biggest book I'd ever read and so I had waited till like the weekend before to read it and it's a big book and so my mom would set a timer and I would read for you know like an hour and then I could take a break and get a snack or whatever and then I would sit back down and read it and that's how I finished that book and I ended up loving it it's a wonderful book but she had to help me get through it but she did and I'm so glad she did because I passed the project. So, Now, you love the public library, I do. I do. When we were in fifth grade, we or right before fifth grade, I, we moved out to the country. And so when we were moving, you know, we had to be outside, out of the house because, you know, people were coming to see it and there were movers and everything. So my mom, she could have done anything. She could have taken us to a movie theater or, you know, could have taken us to the park. But she took us to the library. And every week she'd take us to the library and we'd pick out a book and we'd read there for a few hours. And then we'd go home and we'd have a book to take home with us and read throughout the week until the next week. And then when we actually did move, the... Um, elementary school library was open to its students once a week which was just fabulous because it was two minutes down the road from us and so we could go and pick out a book and we could take them home with us from the school library and get to know our librarians so that worked out perfectly didn't oh it, it did it was wonderful especially after reading all summer and then moving and still being able to do that how wonderful you had some um, good experiences in the school with teachers and librarians to further your passion of reading. (laughs) I did, I did. Um, I mean, obviously, elementary school teachers read aloud to us a lot. I remember being read the uh, Boxcar Children in fourth grade, and then our librarians were just wonderful. They were so sweet, and they just wanted you to love reading. And so, of course, you'd go in once a week, and they'd read aloud to you. And I remember them reading Enemy Pie. And I just remember that book because it was talking about how, you know, you can be nice to anyone and how you can be friends with anyone. It was such a good book. And they really encouraged me to read. My parents were really worried at first because I stuck with pictures books a lot longer than the other children did but they told my parents that one day she'll read a lot and I did and so they uh they were sad when I was leaving and they they actually gave me a book that was a very old copy of uh, Arabian Nights and so I just had this really pretty old copy of this book and I got to I had already read it and I got to read it again and it was like a goodbye gift to me and they were so sweet and just made me love reading even more as we finish our talk today yes. and, and our interview today, tell me a little bit about the reading and writing period in your life, because you do, you do write. I do. Um, in fourth grade, our English teacher wanted us to get you know like ready to enter fifth grade where we start have time to writing and so it was like the last week of class she gave us a timed writing assignment. She said, just write about whatever you want. So I started writing a story, you know, didn't know what to do. And I liked the idea so much that after it was done, I started writing more. And this teacher had always helped us write and whatnot. And I credit her to helping me learn to love to write. And so I, I started writing and I wrote all through high school. And I just really love writing. It's part of why I chose my major because it has a huge writing aspect. 
your major? Public relations. Okay. Part of why I chose public relations was because I had initially thought I was going to be a mechanical engineer. And while I loved it, I realized it wasn't for me. But what public relations had was not only the writing, but it also had problem-solving aspects, in which I really liked. I like being creative and solving problems, and so that's why I chose it. And then it also works well with my hobby of photography, so it just went all together really well. Isn't that great? So PR is your major. Mm -hmm. You have writing. You have organizational-type mechanical skills. And now you're working and helping Worlds Awaiting. I am. It's the perfect job for me. I just, I love it so much because I, children's literacy is a topic near and dear to my heart because of all the people who helped me get there. And, you know, I see other kids, like relatives of mine, cousins, who just hate to read because their parents never taught them that it's, it's fun. And I just, I wish they could see how much fun it is and how much it can expand your horizons. And Worlds Awaiting is so great at helping parents do that. Olivia Noli, World's Awaiting Social Media Manager, talking about her love of books. Thanks for listening to World's Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. and weekdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143, on the TuneIn app and at byuradio.org. <laughs>